wonderful song, Irish. I really like some of those high notes you did there. After her singing, you're not going to want to hear from me. But um, if you want to hang around here, I invite you to take your Bible and open to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14. We believe in prayer around here, and as much as I'm able to, I'm trying to encourage everyone to be a Bible reader and a praying Christian. That's an unbeatable combination, folks. This year, I've tried to bring a message on prayer every month. I might have missed a month in there, but I've, I've brought a good half dozen uh, messages on prayer this year so far. And um, tonight I want to bring to you uh, an incredible, really, an incredible prayer promise from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's here in John chapter 14. Let's begin our time now with a word of prayer. Our loving, loving Father, we thank you so much. You've lavished upon us already in this service and blessed us with your presence. We thank you for all who participated, even with the congregational singing. What a blessing that is to every heart here. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would please open the doors of the schoolhouse. Invite us into the school of prayer. Help every one of us, Lord, here tonight to to get a new vision perhaps for, for prayer. Maybe there's a Christian here who's not been praying very much for one reason or another. Maybe they've given up on it or maybe they don't quite know how. Lord, help them to see that it's prayer that moves the arm of God. Help them to see that tonight. That it is your will for us to pray and to pray regular and to pray often and to pray with effectual fervent prayer. Our Heavenly Father, help us as we examine now a few verses from this chapter. In Jesus' name we ask, Amen. We can say without a doubt on the authority of God's Word that God wants us to pray. He is calling us to prayer. He is encouraging us to prayer. He is instructing us to prayer. We have hundreds of verses in the Bible and many, many examples of prayer. And it's a lifelong study. Please don't think that you've, you know, exhausted the well of prayer. If you're here tonight and you've, you've prayed maybe for a number of years, please don't think that you've reached rock bottom, that there's no further depth to plumb, because I'll have you know that the subject will outlive you. You cannot, you cannot explore it. It's so vast. The world of prayer, it's not just a, you know, a, now I lay me down to sleep or, uh, Lord, bless the food and bless the missionaries. That's not prayer. It's, it's almost a joke. There is so much more, so much vastly more to prayer than that. If you think that you know all there is to know about prayer, why don't you multiply that by a thousand? And then you'll begin to get an idea of the depth of prayer. Prayer is a way of life, folks. Prayer is not something just relegated to 
old dusty old saints up in some ivory tower. Prayer is a living, vibrant walk with God. Prayer is a lifeline. It's, it, it, it oozes, it gushes. It gushes with life and joy and excitement. It draws us into a relationship with God like we've never known before. Prayer cleanses us. Prayer refreshes us. Prayer encourages us. It excites us. Show me a prayerless Christian, I'll show you a defeated Christian. In John chapter 14, our Lord Jesus had his 11 disciples together because Judas had taken off at this point. And he was going to comfort them because they were feeling sorrow. They knew something was up. And the Bible even indicates that there was sorrow in their hearts. And so the Lord was comforting his disciples before he was soon to leave, uh, leave the upper room and go into the Garden of Gethsemane and, and pray and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And that's when I believe the trials really started to come upon him. And of course, then that's where Judas and the band of cutthroats caught up with him and Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. But the words that Jesus was about to tell his disciples here in chapter 14 are incredible words with rich promise. And I don't want anyone here to miss them. In verses 1 to 4, the Lord Jesus begins talking about the mansions in heaven. And we all like those mansions, don't we? We fantasize about those mansions and how big the, the doors and windows are. I don't know if there are any doors on the mansions in heaven. That's another subject for debate. I'm not sure. There's so much we don't know, but it's going to be splendor. Remember, our God is a majestic God, isn't he? No question about that. We're learning that Sunday mornings. And uh, the mansions that he is preparing for us are majestic. And so, uh, then Thomas and Philip, two of the disciples, asked Jesus questions about knowing um, and following him. And so in verses 5 to 11, Jesus answers these questions. But now, from verse 12 to verse 17, Jesus explains how he can still be with them. He said that he's going to go away. He's told them that before. But now he explains how he can still be with the disciples and enable them to carry on and enable them to, to do marvelous works for God. Here it is, all because of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit that he would give them. Now I'd like to direct your attention to verse 12. Um, our Lord Jesus said, Verily, verily. Oh, and listen, by the way. I'm toying with this idea of doing a sermon on verily, verily. Because you won't find that expression outside the Gospel of John. It's a favorite of uh, John's. And he uses it numerous times. He quotes Jesus as saying it many times. And so here's one here in 14 verse 12. Verily, verily. Now when you see those words, you know that Jesus is about to say something very important. So important that you could put your own name in there. Supposing your name was Joe Doe. I've never met anyone by that name. So I think it's safe to use. Joe Doe, I say unto you. It's that kind of importance. Put your own name in there. Verily, verily, I say unto you. 
He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now remember, folks, Jesus is talking to his, what? Disciples. All 11 of them there. Judas is gone. And now, he's not using a parable, but he's using like a third party illustration. He could have said, verily, verily, I I say unto you, if you believe on me, the works that I do, you will do also. He didn't say that. He kind of put it outside the conversation as if it was an illustration. He that believeth on me. So who is that? That's a saved person. Now we know um, from our own Christian experience that believing in Jesus is more than just a head knowledge. I think it was D.L. Moody, the evangelist of the 1800s, who used to say that so many people miss heaven by 18 inches. And that's the distance he figured from the head down to the heart. Because people have a head knowledge of Jesus, but they need a heart knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And there's a big difference, right? I could tell you this, that I, I know the Prime Minister of Canada. Yeah, well, I know about him. I could pick his picture out of a lineup, something like that. But have I actually met him? Nope. Now, many people have. I'm not one of them. I couldn't tell you that I'm one of his close friends. I couldn't tell you I'm a friend at all. He wouldn't know me if he tripped over me on the street. I might know him, though. He's got a famous, famous face. But I I know him, I guess, up here, but not in my heart. And he's he's not a close friend of mine. I've never met him, never had the experience. Now, I've met the the previous prime minister, I've met him, I've shaken his hand, Stephen Harper, I met him, had my picture taken. But uh, that was it. I didn't uh, grow up with him, I didn't go to the same school as he. Um, You know, we never went to the same church together, I just met him the once. Even that, you know, is insignificant. To really know someone is different than say you know about them. He that believeth on me, Here is someone, a saved person. The works that I do. Now, what kind of works did Jesus do when he was on earth? Well, I'll tell you right up. He did miraculous works. He did preaching works. He did teaching works. He did warning works. He did comforting works. The works that I do shall he do also. The apostles, did you know that they raised the dead? Did you know that? If you've read the book of Acts, have you seen what those apostles did in the name of Jesus. They raised the dead. They preached. They taught. They warned. They comforted. But God does not call everyone to be an apostle. He only called a few. And he, na- he names them as the foundation of the church. We're not laying the foundation of the church anymore, are we? It's 2,000 years gone by. You know, the church is, is really assembling a great, a great crowd. Most of it's in heaven. If anything, we're we're finishing off the shingles or something on the roof maybe, but we're not laying the foundation of the church anymore. That's already been laid 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. It was the apostles that did most of these uh, miraculous works similar to what Jesus did. God doesn't call upon us to raise the dead and open the eyes of the, the blind and the ears of the deaf. He goes on in verse 12, says, 
The works that I do shall he do also. Now watch. And greater works than these shall he do. Greater works than these. How many times in the book of Acts can you, can you tell me that the apostles walked on water? Not once. They never did that one, did they? How many times did they raise the dead? Well, we know that uh, Peter was used to, uh, to raise Dorcas from the dead. We know that. We know that um, there were healings done. We know that. But even the, uh, the apostles, even they didn't do a few things that Jesus did. Uh, none of them that I know of cursed a fig tree like Jesus did. And it withered the next day. None of them did that. Of course, none of them rose from the dead either, come to think of it. So there were a couple of things that Jesus did that the apostles themselves didn't even do. Then what does this mean here? The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. How can you get greater than that? Maybe the mistake is what we're, we're, uh, how we're defining the word greater. Because obviously they didn't do greater in quality. Did they? But they did do greater in quantity. Ah, a greater quantity. The works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these. Jesus did a few works in those three years he ministered. Then for the next 40 years of church history, the apostles and the Christians did a whole lot more works than Jesus did. Greater works than these. That's the best way to understand this, folks. Otherwise, you're going to fall for the lies of Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and, uh, oh, uh, what's her name, Joyce Meyer and all these others. You're going to fall for their, their lies. Greater works than these, greater in quantity. And yes, there will be wonderful, great works that Christians can do. Because I go unto my Father. There it is. Christ's ascension into heaven. But Jesus doesn't stop here. He could have put the period there, but he continued on in this incredible prayer promise. He presses the truth further home to our hearts. Look at verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. Now he's directing now back to the 11 disciples. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. Jesus purposely used the word whatsoever. Now that sounds like a lot of latitude, doesn't it? Whatsoever? You mean whatsoever I ask in his name, he will do it? Oh boy. Hey, I got some prayer requests. I got a few fancy things I want to put before the throne of grace. Wait a minute. Time out here. Time out. Jesus did use this word whatsoever, but then he follows it with these words that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What does that mean? It means your prayer request to win the, the coming lotto, $100 million, is not on God's to-do list. It means that some of the things that, that we conjure up, we think might do wonderful things, God says they won't. They won't. I cannot be glorified in, in the Son that way. Jesus said, whatsoever, but then he said that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The condition is that the Father be glorified in the Son. Are we good so far? Yes? Nod at me. Yeah. 
But even this is not enough. And Jesus still presses the truth even further in verse 14. If ye shall ask anything, anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I'd like to throw in these few words here. Watch. Anything according to God's perfect will. Now, someone might say, well, it doesn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. How do we know that's what Jesus meant? Now, that's a good question. That's a legitimate question. And that's where we have to let the Bible answer for us. I'd like you to keep your finger there in John chapter 14 and turn to the right, almost to the end of the Bible. Find the book of 1 John and chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Go there with me, please, in the Bible. It's very, very important that we let the Bible comment on the Bible. Now, in John 14, the Lord Jesus just finished saying, he said, if he ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now we go to 1 John chapter 5. This is the same John, by the way, who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote 1 John. And in chapter 5, Let's take a look here at verse 14. And I want you to read it out loud with me, please. You got your Bible open? Verse 14. Don't let me do all the work. You help me out here. Verse 14. Let's read it. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So there we, there we go. There's our answer. There's the anything again. But it needs to be according to his will. And so you say, well, I need a car. I think I'd like a Rolls Royce. Someone else says, nah, I'd like a McLaren. One of those $2 million hot rods. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a anything. I think I'll ask for that. Is that according to his will? Well, I can tell you this much. If it's God's perfect will for you to have a Rolls Royce, pray for it and you'll get it. If it's God's perfect will for you to have a McLaren's $2 million sports car, you pray for it. God will give it to you. You say, wow, yeah, because it's according to his perfect will. That's why we, we need the Bible, the whole Bible, to comment on other parts of the Bible. And the Lord Jesus in John chapter 14, if you go back there, he said in verse 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, that's anything according to God's perfect will. He says, I will do it. I like what Jesus has to say. It makes life exciting, folks. I know there are many who get frustrated and say, well, I tried praying. Ah, oh, yeah, I prayed for a year. I prayed for a month. Nothing happened, so I gave up. Well, maybe you, you were praying for the wrong things. You know, sometimes um, little children, they want in the worst way to play with daddy's gun. They want in the worst way to play with, with mommy's big sharp knife that she uses in the kitchen. And mummy and daddy, in their wisdom, don't give the gun to little Junior, nor the big butcher knife to little Junior to play with. And he's upset and he's frustrated. And here we are, growing up children. And we've been asking God for this and that over there, and he never gave it to us. And sometimes, listen, it even gets down to people's health. And my brother was sick. And I prayed, oh God, please heal my brother. You must heal my brother. And he died. That's why I don't pray anymore. Have you ever heard any story like that? You ever heard something similar? People that give up on prayer. 
because they didn't get what they wanted. You know, that's where we have to let God be God. This is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. It has to be according to His will, because His will is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. You will not get better than God's will. You and I sometimes think we know what needs to be done. We know this has to happen, and it has to happen by this date, and if it doesn't happen by this date, the world is going to come to an end. And then this date comes, and this date goes, and the world didn't come to an end. We didn't see it answered then. Maybe we saw it answered a week later, a month later. Martha and Mary had a brother named Lazarus who was sick unto death. And they sent to Jesus, please come right away. Jesus waited two days on purpose so that Lazarus could die. They were holding the funeral when Jesus came to town. And the sister said, Lord, I know if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And you know the story. And how Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth all bound up in the the grave clothes. He hobbled out. Someone commented and said, if Jesus hadn't have said Lazarus, if he hadn't have specified Lazarus, if Jesus had just said, come forth, every dead body, every dead person, you know, in the whole area would have come out of the grave. That may be true. But I, 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 I don't know, but I do know this. That if we ask anything according to God's perfect will, Jesus said, I will do it. And you see, you say, how in the world can I know? If that's true now, how in the world can I know if I'm praying according to God's perfect will? I can't know that. How can I know what's on his list? I can't go up to heaven and ask him or look over his shoulder and read on on the list what is his perfect will. How can I know what his perfect will is? And folks, the answer is the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit's presence and power, you and I are lost. We're not going to know what to pray. And the blessed Holy Spirit's job is to lead us into all truth. And truth is what the perfect will of God is all about. The Holy Spirit wants to show us the truth. God the Father wants us to know what His perfect will is. He wants us to know so that we can pray. The Holy Spirit's job is to help us find out. That's why Jesus is so excited about giving the Holy Spirit. But, I want you to wait a minute. Because the promise comes with a condition. It comes with a condition. This is an incredible prayer promise from Jesus Christ. And I want to share this with you. I don't want you to miss this. This will change how you pray from this night forward. If you listen, don't miss this. This so thrilled my heart and and so changed the way I pray. And I want to share this with you. We're going to go to verse 15. And I'd like you to read verse 15 out loud with me, please. Read out loud. If ye love me, Keep my commandments. Now that may sound a little odd, like he's changing the subject, but Jesus is not changing the subject at all. He's just told us about about how we need to pray and he'll do anything that we ask and we know it has to be according to his will, God's will. 
but anything, he will do it. Now he's setting up the condition. There's a condition. And often, folks, isn't that the truth? There is conditions to many things in life. Very few things have absolutely no conditions whatsoever. Even to be saved has conditions. You need to repent and believe in order to be saved. So there's your conditions there. But so many things in life have conditions attached to them. Good, legitimate promises come with certain conditions. We have a condition here that the Lord is giving us. It's not an impossible condition. It's in verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. This is the condition. The keeping of Christ's commandments. We're not talking about trying to be a legalist and keep the the Ten Commandments that Moses gave. Although, hey, those are good commandments. Don't ever divorce the Ten Commandments out of your life. I mean, if we ever do, we're in trouble. You know, thou shalt not kill. That's, That's still a good one, you know, to hang on a wall. I think it's a good idea to put the Ten Commandments on your wall, by the way. I think it's a good idea to teach your children the Ten Commandments and learn them together as a family. I think that's good. I think it would solve a lot of discipline problems in our homes. I think that it would, it would correct a lot of bad behavior before it happens if we did something like that. Well, this word keep, keep my commandments, it's what grammarians call an active verb. Uh, there's more words to it, you know, that the Greek grammarians use to describe it. But essentially, the idea is a continual keeping. Continual keeping. And um, that's the condition, folks. We need to be continually keeping Christ's commandments. You say, well, what are Christ's commandments? I'm going to get to that in just a minute. So hang in there with me. Now, verse 14, if we do the condition of verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 16, if we do the condition of verse 15, then we have the promise of verse 16. So 15 precedes 16. 15 is the condition. 16 is the payoff. Let's read it out loud together. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. So there it is right there. Jesus says, if you do this, I'll do that. If you will be continually keeping my commandments, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter. You say, well, who is this comforter? This comforter is the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, how do you know that Comforter is the Holy Spirit? Well, look over at uh, verse 26. Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the what? Say it. Holy Ghost. There it is. There's the Comforter right there. It's just another term for the Comforter. Uh, For the Holy Ghost is the Comforter. And so the payoff is this. I will pray the Father. Now, what do you think about Jesus' prayer life? You know, your own prayer life, you pray for things and you don't seem to get them. Is Jesus that way? Does he have that problem? Does he go to the Father and pray for things and never get them? Does he walk around, scratch his head and say, oh, I missed another one. I suggest to you that anything Jesus prays for, he gets. Jesus' full-time ministry right now in heaven is intercessor, intercession. I can't even say it. Intercessory prayer. Intercession. That's his full-time job in heaven right now. Praying for you. Praying for me. Praying for the world. Praying for the ones yet to be saved. The Lord Jesus is praying. That's his ministry. 
And he just made us a promise, an incredible promise. He says, if you do this, I'll do that. If you will keep my commandments, I'll go to the Father and I'll ask him to give you the Comforter. I'll ask him to specifically give you the Holy Spirit. Because that's what he says here. Uh, He shall give you another Comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, this is something our Heavenly Father really, really wants to do. God is not adverse to this. He's not saying, I don't know about that. Uh, You know, I don't want to spread myself too thin. I I can't give you the Holy Spirit and give it to him over there. You know, can't quite do that. That's not true. It's the furthest thing from the truth. I'd like you to look back to the book of Luke. So keep your finger there in John 14. Go back to the gospel of Luke and go to chapter 11. Chapter 11, we've got some marvelous teaching on prayer. Now, in chapter 11, our Lord gave us the model prayer when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples, verse 2, and he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. And so there's, there's a tremendous sermon uh, here on, uh, if we were to go through each part of this prayer, we'd see relationship, we'd see respect, we'd see reputation, we'd see requisition. We'd say remission, we'd see regulation, we'd see recognition, we'd see ratification, we'd see persistence. But then he gets down into uh, examples and um, stories about prayer. And verse 9, ask and it shall be given you. We, We all remember that. Then look at verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? You might think that's rather strange. If a son says, Dad, can I have some bread? Can I have a piece of bread? Here's a rock, son. That sounds strange to us, doesn't it, in this culture? The reason it sounds strange is because we think of bread. If I asked you to to go get a loaf of bread, you'd bring me some great big thing in a cellophane bag or plastic bag or something about this big. Maybe it's all sliced. Maybe it's not sliced. Or maybe you'd bring me one of these French ones. These look like a big submarine sort of thing. But in the Middle East, in that culture. The bread was more small, round loaves. And when they came out of the oven, they kind of looked like a stone. Now, obviously, you could tell the difference between a stone and and a loaf of bread. But maybe a a nearsighted man might might look and might think he's grabbing a, a loaf of bread when he grabs a stone. You say, well, wouldn't he know even by the weight of it? He should, but the point is, a good father is not going to make a mistake like that. When his son says, Dad, could I have a loaf of bread? The father reaches, and he grabs the right one. This is a stone. This is bread. Here you are, my son. Here's bread. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he uses the same thing about a fish. Uh, If any of you ask ask for a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Over there in uh, uh, Israel, the Sea of Galilee and so on, uh, there's a certain, or at least was, there a certain kind of fish that sort of resembled a, a serpent. And again, the wise father can tell the difference between the two. He's not about to give something evil to his son. He's going to give something good to his son. 
So then Jesus says, if he then being evil, and the idea of evil here is not that we're wicked, wicked so much, but that rather we tend to destroy hopes and dreams and relationships. That's what we do, folks. Human beings are, are, are that way. We destroy each other in relationships and dreams and we pull things apart and we ruin people's lives. That's the idea of evil. It means pulling down, pulling apart. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, this is in verse 13, I want you to see this, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? We're talking the Holy Spirit for the purpose of His power, His unction, His his help in making us Christ-like. It is the Father's will that we have the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be thinking, well, Pastor, I happen to have read the Bible, and I happen to know biblically that I already have the Holy Spirit. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I'm talking about. Um, Listen, hold your question there. I think I can get to that. In verse 16 of chapter 14 of John, Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Now watch these next words, because Jesus makes a very interesting statement about the Holy Spirit. That he may abide with you forever. I have a question for you tonight. Why didn't Jesus say that he may dwell with you forever? Why did he say abide? Why didn't he say dwell? You might think, well, it doesn't matter, one or the other. doesn't matter. You know, you can use one, use the other, both the same, doesn't matter. I beg to differ. There's a big difference between the word abide and the word dwell. The word dwell is a permanent word. That's why we call it a dwelling. Because you live there for a long, long time. That's your dwelling. The word abide is temporary. The word dwell is permanent. Why in the world would Jesus use that word? That he may abide, some kind of temporary thing, that he may abide with you forever. Why did he say that? Well, here's where we need to go back to his condition. He gave us a condition in verse 15, didn't he? What was the condition? Who can tell me? What? Keeping his what? Commandments. That's the condition. And here's the promise or the payoff that he would go to the Father and say, Father, would you please send the Holy Spirit to that man, that woman? And the Father, of course, will do what Jesus asks. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is dependent upon the condition. As long as you and I are keeping Christ's commandments, then the Father is going to give us the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the condition. That is the condition we're talking about. Now listen, this has nothing to do with losing salvation. Theologically, it's true that every Christian, every born-again man, woman, young person has already been given the Holy Spirit. I'll prove that to you. Keep your finger in John. Boy, it's a good thing you got a finger. Go to the Gospel, I'm sorry, to the book of Romans. Romans in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, would you please? Turn there. I'm going to get you to read a few words here in verse 9, so you're going to need to go there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Follow with me the first half. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. That's the Holy Spirit. You see, it's capitalized. Now read the next words out loud with me. Now, if any man 
have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's theological proof that if a man or woman says, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but they do not have the Holy Spirit. They are not saved. He is none of his. When you got saved, you were given the Holy Spirit. Whether you knew it or not, you were given the Holy Spirit. And folks, listen, that's why we can become like Jesus. That's why our nature can change from our old worldly nature, that worthless thing, that, that creepy person we were before we got saved. And that's how we have a new nature. That's why people change. That's why we become more like Jesus is because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have this back in the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus gave us this in the New Testament times. But listen carefully. There is a big difference between having the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit actually having you. There's a difference between having Him living inside you and between having His great power live its, live its way, work its way out through your life. He can be in you, but dormant because you're grieving Him. You're ignoring Him. But He's there and He's promised never to leave you nor forsake you. Over in the book of Ephesians, we're taught that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit on Till the day of redemption. Till Jesus takes us home. Praise the Lord for that. If you're here tonight and you're fearful that you're going to lose your salvation if you're not too careful, I got good news for you, my friend. It's not you clinging on to Jesus. It's Jesus holding you. You are in the center of His hand tonight. He tells us that in the Gospel of John chapter 10. And He says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and I give unto them eternal life. And you know, if it ever were to stop, it couldn't be eternal. If it could ever die, it wouldn't be eternal. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Well, pastor, I understand that the devil can't perish me. I understand that you would never perish me. But I could perish myself. Oh, really, could you? How's that? Well, I could somehow jump out of Jesus' hand and lose my salvation. I'd be lost forever and go to hell. Well, if that were true, then you'd perish, wouldn't you? Yes, I'd perish. Then are you saying Jesus is a liar? What do you mean? Because Jesus just said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Never. So is Jesus a liar? Well, no, I wouldn't call him a liar. Well, is he deluded? Maybe Jesus is deluded. Because he doesn't know any better. And he thinks something that's not true. Maybe Jesus doesn't know that you can perish yourself. Well, no, I wouldn't say that either. He knows everything. Well, then why do you think you can perish yourself? Well, because I know someone who did it. Maybe they were never saved to begin with. You know, that happens a lot. Everyone thought Judas was saved. You know that. You know that, don't you? They, they thought he was saved. They thought he was just, oh, the... The cat's meow. They thought he was a great, great godly man. Trusted, loved so much they made him the treasurer. He ended up being a snake in the grass. Son of perdition, the Bible calls him. He was never saved. He looked like it. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that look like they're saved, but they're not. And if they're not saved, they don't have the Holy Spirit inside them. No wonder they, they don't have any Christ-likeness. 
No wonder they don't have the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. No wonder they don't have any of the, the hunger and thirst to love Jesus and to be with Jesus. They got religiosity, yeah, but they don't have Jesus. Now, folks, it's not up to us to judge who is so much who is saved and who is not. That's God's job, right? Can we leave God with His job? But the Bible says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you're not saved. Every saved person has the Holy Spirit. A lot of saved people, they just sit on the Holy Spirit and never let Him really do His power. And the power is what Jesus is talking about. If you go back, please, to John chapter 14. And so he says in verse 15, the condition, keep my commandments. And verse 16, he says the payoff, the promise here, I'll pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. Wow. God wants you and me to have this power, the Holy Spirit. It's the power, not the presence. It's the power we're talking about. Whew. You can have an electrical appliance in your home. But until you plug it into the power, switch it on, it's just going to sit there and collect dust. That's all it's going to do. Hmm. Well, this is very, very interesting. Jesus said here that he, the Holy Spirit, may abide with you forever in verse, in verse uh, 16 there. So Jesus uses the word abide, which is a temporary thing, not dwell, which is a permanent thing. And the idea is not the presence, it's the power. That's what we're talking about here. That's what he talked about in Luke chapter um, uh, 11, verse 13. Uh, you know, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? We're talking about the power. That's why we'd want the Holy Spirit, is the power. You say, what do I need the power for? My friend, you need the power to live a godly life. You need the power to overcome some of those bad habits. You need overpower, you need the overpowering power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil that's trying to pull you down and hold you back. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to make you like Jesus and give you the Christ likeness and awaken within you the hunger and thirst and to help you to enter into the joy of your Lord. And you need the power to be able to pray and to see answers to prayer. You absolutely need the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, the Christian life is really not worth living, to be quite honest with you. We're powerless. We're defeated. Which is where a lot of Christians in this world find themselves. Powerless and defeated. Because there's no power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is making us an incredible prayer promise. Absolutely incredible. If you keep my commandments, you say, what are they? I'm getting to that. If you keep my commandments, I'll pray the Father and He shall give you. He shall give you the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's exciting if you ask me. And now Jesus gives us an important extra piece of information about the Holy Spirit. It's in verse 17. He says here, even the spirit of, what's that next word? Truth. The spirit of truth. So in answer to our question, we asked a question earlier. How can I ever know what is the perfect will of God? If God will only answer the prayers that are His perfect will, how can I ever find them out? That's how. He's the spirit of truth. He is absolutely the only one who really understands the will of God. Listen, I'd like you to, to look um, over to the right to the book of 1 Corinthians. 
you're going to need your finger again there in John chapter 14 and go to the book of 1 Corinthians, past Romans, 1 Corinthians, and I want you to find chapter 2. Now, while you're finding 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want you to, to understand how this works. That if you and I are praying according to the perfect will of God, what's going to happen here is Jesus is telling the Holy Spirit to tell us what to pray for. That's the mechanics. That's how it works. Now, you're in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Look, please, with me at verses 10 and 11. Uh, but God hath revealed them. These are the things which God hath prepared for them that love him in verse 9. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. For the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now here's an illustration. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit, small s, the Spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. You see, that's why we don't know how to pray. But the Spirit of God. The things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. It's only the Spirit of God. You can go back to John now, chapter 14. It's only the Spirit of God that knows the perfect will of God. He is the only one who knows how you should be praying about your job, about your family. He is the only one who knows the perfect will of God concerning the ministries that you ought to be doing. He is the only one that knows the perfect will of God concerning your giving, your offerings. He is the only one that knows the absolute perfect will of God concerning every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. He's the only one. He's the spirit of truth. And Jesus said, you want them? I'll give them to you. But you need to be keeping my commandments. If you keep my commandments, I'll pray the Father. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then will lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit then will meet with you in your prayer closet. And all of a sudden, you'll start having effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man. All of a sudden, you're going to start praying the way you've wanted to pray. All of a sudden, your prayers are going to feel like God is listening. Now, we looked at a verse in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. The next verse, verse 15, goes on and says, And if we know that he hear us, hear us, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If you feel in your heart, yes, God has heard me. And you're not making it up. You're not beating yourself, foaming at the mouth, trying to make yourself believe God's heard you. But the Holy Spirit has given you such assurance in your heart that you know God has heard you. Mark it down. You're going to get what you prayed for. That's an incredible prayer promise from God. And that's the way we need to be praying. You know, on every Wednesday night, we hand out prayer lists. And we got we to gotta hand out prayer lists with prayer requests. And we ask you to pray every day. And so every day, you should go to God and you should start praying through the list. God, what is your will concerning this person? They're sick. We're praying that you'd make them better. What's your timing on that? God, please have your perfect will in this person's life. Make this, this illness, this sickness to bring you honor and glory. Help them to learn more about you during this time of, of trouble or trial or testing. Help them to enter into such close contact with you, Lord, during these dark hours. Lord, I pray for this person's financial situation. And Lord, I know that you've got special uh, lessons you want to teach them. 
They got themselves maybe into some financial problems. And Lord, I know you can just instantly take them out of their financial problems, but the thing is they might get right back in. And Lord, lead them according to your perfect will. And Lord, I pray that in your perfect time, you'd bring them out and make them debt-free to your praise, to your honor and your glory so that they'd never fall back into debt again, that they would learn new habits for your honor and your glory. And you see, this is more along the line how we need to pray. Looking for God's will, asking for God's will, hungering, thirsting for God's will, not just for us, but we need to raise it to the next bar, praying for others. That's the highest form of prayer you will ever do when you start interceding for people that you don't even know. It's easy to pray for your own needs, isn't it? Lord, I need this, and I want one of those, and please help me here, and (coughs) heal that cough, Lord. Everyone does that. They pray for themselves. The next level is where you pray for people around you, your family and friends. Lord, my brother, my mother, my friend at work, Lord, please. But then it's something else. To raise at the next bar. And start praying for the names on that prayer list we give you on Wednesday. Names of unsaved people that received a Bible study that have shown interest in learning more about God. And there are names that you have trouble pronouncing. And you'd never know them if you bumped into them on the street. And you're praying for people that you've never met. They're over there on that board. You see number 10? That says active contact. There are 10 lost people right now that our church has contact with. They've received a Bible study that will help them to know how to know the Lord. We need to be praying for those people. That's the highest level of prayer is intercessory prayer. Praying for people that we've, we've never met. And listen to this. You can get on your knees in Surrey and you can pray all the way around the world. Your prayer closet knows no boundaries. You can get on your knees and you can be praying for India. You can be praying for Australia. You can be praying for Africa. You can be praying for uh, uh, Europe. You can be praying for the United States or for South America. You could be praying for Greenland. All from the confines of your prayer closet. And your prayers know no boundaries, no physical limitations. And they will go around the world. And it's through the prayers of God's people that the will of God is accomplished. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. This is an incredible prayer promise. Jesus has given us something absolutely phenomenal. Now, I want you to look at verse 12 once more. Chapter 14, verse 12. Read it out loud together with me, please. All together. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. That's an amazing statement in itself. And then he follows it up with verses 13, 14, whatsoever ye shall ask. uh, Verse uh, 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name. This is tremendous, tremendous stuff. Tremendous latitude. But you see, it's confined to bringing the Father glory in Jesus Christ. And the only way that can happen is if we pray according to God's perfect will. And the only way that we can pray according to God's perfect will is if we have the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And the only way we can get the power of the Holy Spirit abiding on us day after day is if we are keeping Christ's commandments day after day. That's it right there. And you say, well, what are Christ's commandments? I'm going to summarize them for you. In fact, look at this. Look what I have for you tonight. I spent a bunch of time putting this together for you. It's a tiny little booklet. And in it are 16, 16 of Christ's commandments. I'll summarize them for you. I'm not going to read the book. Number one, repent and be saved. Number two, be baptized. Number three, join the church. Number four, take part in communion. Number five, seek God and his kingdom. Now you need to do that every day. Number six, be a praying Christian. Number seven, work in God's power. Number eight, be fishers of men. Number nine, honor your parents. A lot of Christians fall apart right there. They break that command of Christ by not honoring their parents. But pastor, my, my parents were, were like Frankenstein and, you know, Frankenstein's bride. That was my parents. Well, praise God for Frankenstein and Frankenstein's bride because without them, we wouldn't have you. God made no mistake when he gave you Frankenstein as a dad. God knew what he was doing. And if you by faith will honor your dad and your mom, God will bless you for it. That's his promise. Another one of Christ's commandments is honor marriage. That's being greatly dishonored these days. Honor marriage. Number 11, be reconciled to others. Again, a lot of Christians fall apart right there. They break that commandment because they're at odds with someone and they've never even tried to be reconciled. You say, well, what if they won't be reconciled to me? That's not your problem. You just need to try and reconcile yourself to them. Number 12, love and serve other people. Number 13, love your enemies. Number 14, rejoice if you're persecuted. Number 15, be honest. Number 16, be wise. In this little booklet here, I put it together for you. And what you need to do is read it through. You could just read a page a day if you like. There's about four or five pages there if you want. But you need to read it through and you need to say, Lord, help me. Help me to keep your commandments. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to pray tonight. And if you come and pray at the altar, I don't know who's going to come. Maybe no one will come. I don't know. But I want you to pick up a booklet. There's an invitation. There's a promise with a condition. I think we got enough booklets here for everyone who wants to come. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Wow. How can we use this incredible prayer promise from Jesus Christ? What great and mighty things could we see accomplished in our families, in our workplaces, in our church? Do you think we could pray for a great miracle of God and get a building that we don't deserve. Do you think God could do something like that? Well, if we keep His commandments, Jesus will give us the Holy Spirit to abide with us so that we'll know the will of the Father so we can pray intelligently and pray His will be done. And who knows? Maybe it is God's will for us to get a 
a building that we don't deserve far bigger than, than what we need. Boy, would that ever make a splash in the city of Surrey, wouldn't it? You know what, folks? I want to make a statement here. Let's addict ourselves. Now, you know people get addicted. Let's addict ourselves to keeping Christ's commandments and to start praying with power. Let's stand to our feet tonight.